Hi, I'm Dan. And I'm James. And welcome to the Cornwall Property Podcast, where every week we bring you the latest news, hot topics and guidance around the Cornwall property market. Stay tuned to be informed, inspired and to have any of your property-related questions answered by trusted local property professionals. Welcome back. I'm Dan. I'm James. And we are here for episode 68. And we have managed to hold on to the wonderful Rain from last week's episode. Rain is here to join us again. If you didn't listen to last week's episode, where have you been? Um, And if you have, thank you for joining us once again. But Rain, who are you? What did you do? (laughs) So I am a a management agent, property management agent based down here in Cornwall. My background um, is predominantly commercial with some residential management. Um, I specialise in sort of service charges, so common areas, multi-occupancy buildings, things like that. And I've taken that experience and I've now started my own company, Brooks Estates, and we look after block management. We look after open space management and some commercial property management as well. Um, and yeah, we're, we're growing a rate of knots and we're looking to help developers with their open space management requirements, particularly with the new biodiversity net gain rules coming in soon. Oh, that's so, handy. Yeah, mm-hmm. fair. And you kind of under-talked that a little bit because you don't just do block management. There's a bit of a USP that you guys offer that others don't seem to be on to yet. No, that's that's right. So what we do is we really um, focus on community-led sustainable management. So we really go out and we assess each of our sites. Um, we have an in-house ecologist that will come out and we will carry out full site assessments to look at the environmental benefits and the environmental impacts of that on a development-by-development development basis. Up until now, you've had things like uh, LEMP plans in place, which have been a a requirement of planning. And that is a landscape and ecological management plan, um, which looks at different types of planting and how that can benefit biodiversity and natural habitats, etc. So we do all of that. And really, we're just we're growing on that to incorporate biodiversity, net gain, monitoring and reporting services for open spaces on these housing developments. In block management, it can be a little bit trickier because typically you'll have, let's say, a block of flats with a car park. That's it. There's no green space. And so there's very little in the way of biodiversity. So what we'll do is we'll make sure that all of the um, communal energy is renewable. We'll look at introducing EV charging points if we can. We'll look at introducing sort of wildflower planted areas to incorporate um, bee nesting facilities and things like that or bird boxes we look at community composting areas so that those households in that block of flats can reduce their waste and their carbon footprint by putting all of their compostable waste into a compost point outside um, so yeah it's really just not many management agents that do this <laughs> no there really aren't no I haven't come across beyond. any yet there yeah. might well be and I hope there are I hope mm. that we will inspire others to take this type of approach so no, we need to I do. Yeah, it's it's not really a, a choice anymore. I think it no. is everyone's responsibility. And I think that we can facilitate and support people, uh, both landlords and residents as well, to take that more environmentally aware, responsible approach to the way that they live and the way their households are run and managed. Absolutely. Definitely. I can agree more. Well, guys, this, as you will know, is our Ask Dan and James and Rain episode. So, um, Again, thank you so, so much to all those who have, who have been in touch with us um, over the last few weeks. Absolutely. And just remember, you can do that by reaching out on our social media platforms, such as uh, Instagram and Facebook as well. But like many of you do, uh, get your questions in to podcast at cl-property.com, uh, which is where we've got this week's questions that we can ask Rain. Really looking forward to this, actually. Definitely. So as always, when we've got guests, Rain, we take extra care in picking out questions because obviously wanting to 
to get your input on um, areas that you are obviously expertise are welcome. So Great. we've managed to get this one. It's actually quite topical, this one. This is from Ben in Poole. And Ben has asked, I've been looking at a plot of land with a view of obtaining planning to build two to three new build houses. Sounds good, Ben. I'm trying to do as much research and planning as I can, but one area that I am really, uh, sorry, one area I'm aware, which is coming into play later this year, which I'm really struggling to get my head around, is the whole biodiversity net gain requirement. It's blowing my mind a little. (laughs) And I was wondering if you guys had any experience of this or could shed some light um, on what it means for us laymans. Now, I'm really pleased you're here because I would probably wouldn't pick out this question myself if you were. <laughs> I probably would have said, oh, we'll wait for that one, Ben, sorry. But this is a perfect opportunity to bring this one up because yeah, I know no one better than yourself to help us answer it. So, yeah. Perfect. Teach me and James as well, please. Okay. <laughs> I'll do my best. Um, so, biodiversity net gain, it's a big buzzword. It's actually been brought in in Cornwall already. Um, it's now rolling out as part of the Environment Act 2022 across the rest of the country and will be an obligation on developers when they are applying for planning to consider. So, the way that this is going to work is that the site that you are looking at applying for planning for will be subject to an ecological plan. And what they will go and do is they will carry out a site survey and they will look at the biodiversity value of that site in its current state. They will then apply a metric and that metric will look at different measurements that you can put in place to improve that biodiversity um, and the impact that your development is going to have on that land and on that site. And the aim of this is to increase biodiversity on that site by at least 10% using that metric. And the metric covers a 30-year period. So at the end of that 30 years, you should have a site that is delivering at least 10% more biodiversity. And that's the sort of the standard approach that's being taken. That can be delivered in a, a whole wealth of ways. And it will be down to your ecologist to sort of advise you on the best way to implement these um, these additional sort of structures or planting or canopy cover or mm. rainwater harvesting or what have you in order to achieve that biodiversity net gain. Um a long sort of monitoring and reporting period, that 30-year period, is very, very key to ensuring that that biodiversity net gain is achieved, uh, largely because you you want to do that, first of all. Also, because if you don't, there are very, very heavy fines for developers. Um, now, chap Ben from Paul was talking about a site where he wanted to put in two to three houses, and the standard biodiversity net gain metric wouldn't apply to that type of development. You have a small sites metric and it also depends on the site itself. Now, if Ben's buying a car park and he wants to develop that, it's not really much biodiversity to improve there. And so actually the, the, the sort of number one consideration is what type of site are you buying? Is there sort of historical woodland present, things like that, because you're not going to be able to chop that down and, and, and sort of replace that. So you won't achieve biodiversity net gain on that sort of site. Mm-hmm. So it's not got any value to you as a developer because you're just not going to be able to get planning permission on that. Um, the first port of call would be to look for an environmental consultant. You've got Cornwall environmental consultants. You've got a, a wealth of others here uh, in Cornwall. And have a chat to them, really. Tell yeah, them that's the site that you're thinking advice. of. Um, and, and just see what they say. And they can carry out that reporting if, if they think that the site you're looking at is 
worth considering. Um, and then you can use that metric to go forward. You can buy off-site credits as well. So if it's not possible to deliver that net gain on this, talking about a much larger site than Ben from Paul is looking at, you can buy off-site credits where you pass your responsibility into the stewardship of an environmental company to sort of carry out that rewilding off-site somewhere okay. on your behalf. Very expensive way of doing mm. it. Very, Sounds very expensive. <laughs> yeah. And so that's only for sort of much bigger developers to consider if they don't have any other options. Um, but passing the stewardship of your site over into the care of somebody that can absolutely ensure that the groundswork team that are going out to site aren't going to accidentally mow your lovely wildflower meadow or damage any of this planting that you've put in place for this biodiversity net gain is key. You have to make sure the people that are looking after your sites know what they're doing and have a vested interest in, in providing that level of service. Brilliant. So ensure that Ben, in this instance, is not big enough to really can be concerned about... No, I wouldn't say so. I would say... It's that something that maybe be appreciative of, though, isn't it? Like, definitely. There's no reason why you couldn't design or build these houses with this in mind. Absolutely. And I think that, you know, again, just because there isn't a, a standard requirement on you to carry out... The, the activity in the sort of the most environmentally sympathetic manner possible doesn't mean you shouldn't. Mm, you can no. still incorporate sort of wildflower planting or community sort of benefits in one way or another. Yeah, I think like your firm being so geared towards sustainability is mm. also as a developer, you get to wear a different uh, hat uh, in the crowd that you can actually, hey, look, we've actually put this in. There are bird boxes, there are, we've, we've rehoused yeah. a load of newts or something. Like, exactly you know what I mean? That. Not that there would have been newts on the site. You know well, what I mean? There might be. But, yeah, but you'd be you very surprised. Slow yeah. worms, yeah. I, I'm actually yeah. the wildlife. But you know what I mean? Like you can, Absolutely. I think, do it anyway. It's probably a good thing with the way the and world that's is. It. The, the way that we manage all of our sites, you know, up until now, there haven't been these biodiversity net gain requirements. Requirements. Some of them don't have lamps in place, but we manage them all to the same standard anyway. Mm. We work within a framework that is set by the Building with Nature organisation, um, and we're looking into ways that we could possibly become accredited with them to demonstrate that that's the standard we manage all of our sites to, regardless of whether we're required to or not formally yeah. by local planning authorities or what have you. Because if that's your standard management practice, you don't really have to deviate that much to tick these boxes. Mm. Yeah, it's just systemised, isn't it? Exactly that, yeah. yeah. No, very helpful. Thank very you Very interesting that. as well, for sure. Uh, I've got a question here from Edward uh, in Salt Ash who asks the following. How does block management differ from your standard property management? Are there any sort of key differences? Now, for me, it'd be quite interesting for me to know because I know it seems like a straight question, but I think it's a very good one. Like, what yeah. are the uh, the differences between those types of uh, management? Sure. Right. Okay. I mean, there are lots and lots of sort of nuances when it comes to things like block management. So with block management, typically you're looking at blocks of flats, apartments, what have you. And um, your standard letting agent that manages the properties that are occupied by people will look at compliance in terms of occupied property. So what happens beyond the front door? And that that falls under your sort of property management hat. Block management is very, very different, totally different beast, because what you're doing is you're looking after the common parts of a building that aren't occupied by anybody, that are shared by all of the people that live in that block in common. Um, it's very important to make sure that you're up to date with all of the compliance. So things like, you know, hot topic at the moment is fire safety, particularly after Grenfell, particularly after all of the new sure. legislation that's just been introduced. So you have to make sure that you're very, very up on your fire safety and other sort of compliance issues as well. So reporting, inspections, health and safety inspections, 
you don't want somebody with kids coming from a third floor flat where the carpet's been torn up, no one's been out to look, suddenly someone trips and falls down the stairs. You know, there's a lot of compliance that has to happen. Um, you're typically looking after those common spaces on behalf of the freeholder. And a lot of the time that will be a limited company, again, a management company that those occupiers typically will form a part of. So you're doing it on their behalf and you're just looking after the common fabric of the building. Mm -hmm. It can also include, you know, it will include the roof. It will include, you know, the external decoration and cleaning and things like that as well. Mm -hmm. um, so you have to really be quite specialist in knowing what you're doing. Uh, we have a commercial director in Brooks Estates who is a quantity surveyor. So it's really useful for us because we can send him out and he'll say, okay, well, this is the age of the building. This is the type of roof that's involved. This is how much it's going to cost to replace or repair that in X amount of years time. And we can introduce a sinking fund so that we know that people are contributing toward that cost in advance. We know it's coming. It's not going to be this big shock where we go knocking on people's doors going, right, we need 15,000 pounds, you know? Yeah, sure. So that's the difference really. It's, it's knowing all of the compliance. It's being able to effectively administer a service charge so that people's money is being spent appropriately. Being very transparent with that is key to effective block management as well. You need to let people know where their money is going and why. Um, and also it adds a certain amount of value to your property too. So if you have a flat and you have an, a, an adequate management agent, which a lot of people unfortunately don't seem to, mm -hmm. it, it can add value to your property because any buyers coming in will know that they're well looked after and, and you know they have a trustworthy agent. No, absolutely. It seems that there's a lot more working parts and it's also mm. geared to landlords that maybe own the whole block. That's or, right. Yeah. You know, there's more than just beyond the door. As you say, the car yeah. park areas, the gardens, all that type of exactly stuff. Exactly that, It's a yeah. lot more involved than your standard. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of health and safety. Yeah, no, big time, which, <laughs> yeah. you know, when being in the box, <laughs> mm. you want to have the right it's person who's important. been managing it and they are, they're qualified to do so. So, exactly yeah, no, that. thank you for drawing clarity on that. Okay. Hopefully that helps, Edward. Well, look, guys, thank you so, so much, Rain. We've we've pretty much thrown you under the bus there. So you've dealt with those fantastic. <laughs> no, I've loved it. I um, really have. It's great. Thank yeah, you. Yeah, very knowledgeable. Thank sure. you so much. Yeah, and hopefully, guys, hopefully you've also been impressed with Rain and uh, her expertise and what the business can do um, potentially for you guys. So, again, if you're interested in getting in touch with Rain, Rain, what do you need to do? So you can head straight to the website. Uh, there's a lot more information on there and there's also a contact us form. Um, you can go over to our social media channels as well. So there's Instagram and there's Facebook. The website is www.brooksestates.co.uk. Brooks without an E. So B-R-O-O-K-S, estates.co.uk. Instagram is at Brooks underscore estates. Facebook is Brooks Estates Limited. So yeah, any of those methods, you can also head over to LinkedIn where there's a LinkedIn page. I personally am on LinkedIn as well. So just fire over a connection request or a follow request or send me a message. It's Rain Brooks. Fantastic. Thank, Thank you, you very much for that. And remember, you can get in contact with us here at the podcast on our social media platforms also, such as Facebook and Instagram, but you can also send us uh, an email on podcast at cl-property.com. Uh, we do get quite a lot of questions, so we can't feature all of them in the shows uh, for our viewers uh, and listeners, but uh, Dan and I will make the effort to uh, respond to every single question the best way we can. But it, just apologies for those of you who don't see your questions come up on the show, but uh, we do try to uh, select them with the relevance with the wonderful guests that we have coming on here. So. <laughs> Thank you very much. Sure. Well, guys, that is it for episode 68. I don't know how we've got here, but um, <laughs> thank you for joining us. And if you've been listening from the start, thank you so much for your continued support. But um, that's enough of uh, us for today. So thank you again. And it's a goodbye from me. Bye from me. And a thank you ever so much once again from Rain. Thanks, guys. Thanks.